fathers. I got to say, I'm a little surprised. I thought that my Father's Day gift was something that we all kind of got, but I guess these are kind of official, what I have. So I have Super Dad t-shirt and number one dad socks. So I guess those are official positions since I don't see anyone else with them. So uh, I guess I'll be writing my book later and sharing my wisdom and gifting with all of you. I remember as a child, my parents, every Sunday without exception, we would hop in the car and we'd go to Grace Brethren Church, Long Beach. We'd get out of the car, my parents would walk me to a Sunday school room where my friends and I would begin every Sunday morning the same way, singing Sunday school songs. Now, these are songs that would take profound truths of God, simplify them, targeting them for the minds and hearts of children, putting them to music with hand motions in hopes that we might remember them and apply them later in our lives. And I have to say, I've been surprised at how long those songs have stayed in my mind and in my soul. Um, to the point that uh, when Gretchen and I started having kids, we found a VHS tape. You remember those? For those of you younger than me, a VHS was like a, it's a thing with a tape, had literal tape in it. And we found a VHS tape with Sunday school songs and we played them for our children in hopes that those profound truths of God would grow in the hearts and minds of our sons. And so I thought it would be fun for our series, Sunday School Song Theology, if every Sunday we would recreate one of those old school, Sunday school style sing-along songs for us to reminisce and sing once again together. And so, would you humor me? Stand up, and will you join us in singing our first Sunday School song, My God is So Big. strong 
Yo, yes, please be seated. You know, as a child, I remember learning that song. I remember believing in that truth. But as I grew in adulthood, as I grew in my understanding of who God was, my understanding of God grew. My heart for God grew. And that truth began to impact how I lived my life day by day. See, I believe this truth is more than just something simple that belongs in a Sunday school song. I, I think this is a profound truth that if we truly understand it, that it will impact our lives and it will impact how we live day by day. As I was trying to come up with an example in Scripture of someone who I think really understood this truth, I came up with King David. You know, King David was known as a man after God's own heart, and even as a young man, he seemed to have this confidence in who God was. You remember when he uh, went to bring some food to his older brothers, and there was this giant Goliath who was just who was just impugning who God was and talking down to the armies of God. And King David approached him and was like, who's going to stand up against this guy? Who's going to prove to this guy the greatness of God? You remember the story where David, as a young man, just took a few stones in confidence that God could use what he had for his glory. Years after that episode with Goliath, David, the young man, was anointed as king over all of Israel, and the Philistines, the, the dreaded enemies of Israel, learned about King David's anointing, and they decided to pick a fight and try to kill David. And immediately upon hearing it, David sought direction from God. And as David followed to the letter what God gave him to do. This was the result. Look at how it, in First Chronicles, David did just as God had commanded him, and they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon, even as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations. Shortly after that, after that victory on the battlefield that David chose to do something else. For he chose to move the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into the heart of Jerusalem. And at that moment when David was celebrating the, the presence of God coming into the capital city of Israel, it said that David wrote a psalm to commemorate that occasion. He wrote a song to commemorate why the presence of God coming into the heart of Israel was so important. That psalm is Psalm 96. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to ask you to join me in there. Book of Psalms, Psalm 96. If you're new to the book of Psalms, another childhood truth I learned that Psalms is pretty much in the middle of your Bible. If you just get there, middle of the Bible, start flipping around, you'll find it. Psalm 96. While you're turning there, this is a customary time where we talk about our new series summer, our new series sermon guides. That was hard to say. Uh, and we build these for two reasons. Our staff and Pastor Jeff, they build these for two reasons. Number one, we want to have a place for you to keep notes 
of what God reveals to you, what God exposes to you about his truth and about who he is so that you can remember and apply these throughout your life. But the second reason is we believe that if we truly want to grow in the image of Jesus, if we truly want to understand who God is more and more, it takes more than an hour a week. And we need to be involved in the scriptures together throughout the week. And so each week there's a series of questions designed to help you process and ruminate and, and listen to the truth of God throughout your week. And we're, our hope is that you'll do it at work with your buddies at work. You'll do it at school. You'll do these questions with your families or maybe you'll go through them with your small group. If, if you're like, Brian, I don't have any of those, you're always welcome to join Pastor Jeff and I Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, where we go through your questions of life and then we try to get to some of the sermon questions. It depends on the week. We'd love to see you here on campus, 7 o'clock, if you need a place to go through those questions. But the sermon guides come in three formats. Number one is a good old-fashioned spiral-bound notebook. And those are available as you left church last week. They're available on the table as you came in. But every week, there's always something who, someone who says, ah, Brian, I didn't think I wanted one, but now that you talked about it, maybe I do. So these are available for you, and leaders of our church are prepared to bring one to you at your seat. Just raise your hand loud and proud, and as long as you're not my wife, you will not be ridiculed <laughs> for raising your hand. Quite a few of you right up here in the front and over here to the left. And uh, keep, keep your hand up. Gary, we'll hit you in the back on the way back. And, you know, and so, but some of you might be saying, Brian, I don't want another thing to carry around. And that's why we offer it in another format. You can download the entire PDF file if you just go to our webpage, cbcchurch.org. Look for the series study guide tab. Click on that. You can download the entire PDF on your phone, tablet, computer, whatever you want to do. And I know some of you are saying, Brian, that seems like a lot of work. I just wish you could just give me every week, piece by piece, week by week. You can do that too. Just download the Chino Valley Community Church app on your app store. Look for the sermon tab down at the bottom. And each week, just look for the sermon series. And each week, we'll give you the sermon notes. We'll give you the scripture passage. And you'll get all the introductory information. And you'll also get the questions that will be provided to you week by week. And if you also want to go back because you missed a Sunday because of vacation, uh, the sermon video will also be on the app as well. As you can see, we work really hard to provide these study guides to you in a multiple of formats because we desire you to grow in the image of Jesus. And we believe that by getting us to contemplate the truths of God day by day throughout our week, gives us the best opportunity for the Holy Spirit to transform our lives from the inside out. Okay, so now that we've gone through all that, let's get to our passage, Psalm 96. Here's how David began it. He says this, Psalm 96, verse 1, he says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Why, you might be asking. Verse 4, for great is the Lord. 
For great is the Lord. That term great, used to describe someone or something that is the greatest, the mightiest, something that is larger than everything else, something that is beyond our complete understanding. David says, we need to be about all that, sing to the Lord, proclaiming good tidings, tell the glory among the nations. Why? Because great is the Lord. I love how the Apostle Paul describes the greatness of God. Look at Romans eleven thirty three. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? He continues, he says, or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. King David opens his psalm to Help us understand there should be something bubbling up in our lives when we understand one truth. Great is the Lord. But look at the end of verse 4. He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Because of the greatness of God, he is to be greatly praised. That phrase, phrase means that God deserves an abundance of worship, to be celebrated with reckless abandon, to be praised in a powerful way that is over the top. King David is approaching and saying, listen, there should be this response when you understand the magnitude and greatness of God. When you understand my God is so big, it should generate in us this desire and this need to worship in such a way that is over the top. And I don't know about you. That is not a reflection of my worship style. I was in Africa a couple weeks ago, and the team and I were sitting in a church in the middle of a slum in Kenya, and I was just amazed by the way that they greatly praised God. And they must have seen something lacking in me, because they called me up on stage to help me understand and learn a little bit of how, how to greatly praise the Lord. And thankfully, there is an elder with me who took a little video of it. Here it is. I was prepping for this passage this when I was studying that greatly to be praised, I remembered this moment. And I asked myself, what do they understand about God that I don't? What do they see about who God is that I'm missing? Because when people who have nothing Monday through Saturday show up Sunday morning, 
to praise God with reckless abandon. What do they see that I don't? And perhaps what do they see that you don't? What does King David know about God that perhaps we know in our head, but we fail to capture in our heart? So I thought it would be prudent for us to maybe do a little theology and doctrine about the greatness of God when theologians attempt to describe an infinite glorious God, they tend to focus on attributes and they put them in two camps. One is in the incommunicable attribute category. Incommunicable attributes are attributes of God not shared by humans. These are attributes, characteristics, things that God has that are unique to him. Here's some examples. Independence. God does not need or depend on any part of creation for his existence. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need them. God is completely independent. Some Bible verses that help us understand a little bit about that. First verse of the Bible. First four words. In the beginning, God The assumption is that God existed before creation. In the beginning, God continues. Look at how it's described in Acts 17. This is the Apostle Paul in one of his sermons. He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. I mean, God is independent. He is the beginning. He is the end. He's the alpha, the omega, first incommunicable attribute of God, independence. Now, again, let me make a note. I'm not going through an exhaustive list of all God's incommunicable attributes, okay? So those of you theologians, Brian, you missed one. I get it. Please don't email me. I'm telling you, I know there's more. I'm just giving you a few to give you an example, right, of what incommunicable attributes are. Number two, omnipresence. God is not only independent, but he is wholly present everywhere. And we see this truth in a number of places in Scripture. Look how Solomon describes God in his prayer as he dedicates the new temple. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, surprise, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. God, you're so much bigger than just this place. And look how King David describes the omnipresence of God. Psalm 139 David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, surprise, you're there. He continues. He says, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Man, God, you're everywhere. And I got to tell you, that's one of my favorite parts of missions. And why I'm a firm believer in every person going on a short-term trip, somewhere outside of your normal dwelling place. Because one of the first things you'll recognize is the same thing God does here with us, God does there with them. Not only is God present 
within the Chino Valley in Kuki, California. Not only is God at work at this present time in our location, God is in Kenya, God is in Ethiopia, God is in Estonia, God is in South America. God is everywhere doing his work in the hearts of God's people. If you want to understand the greatness of God, you have to understand some of his incommunicable attributes. Independence, omnipresence, how about this? Omniscience, perfect knowledge of himself and creation. I love how it's described in Psalm 147, 5. He says, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Man, everything that God knows and understands, it just keeps going and going. There is no way that you can put a box around that. God is all-knowing and knows everything. Here's another one. God is not only independent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's omnipotent, unlimited power to do as he wills. God's not just all-knowing and everywhere. God has all power, unlimited power to do as he wills. I love the lesson Job learned. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Man, everything, everything, God, that happens, happens under your authority, happens under your allowance. And look how Jesus describes it, Matthew 19, 26. Looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Man, if you want to understand the greatness of God, man, if you feel like, Brian, maybe I'm missing something. Do you understand the greatness of God that he is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing? He is independent. He can do his work under a democratic republic. He can do his work under a communist country. He can do his work independent of what happens down here because he is God. He is great and greatly to be praised. There's a few others. He is sovereign. He has supreme authority. He's immutable, meaning he never changes his purpose or his character. God is holy, pure, and of incorruptible nature. Here's some incommunicable attributes of God. If you want to understand his greatness, you need to understand God has these character traits that are completely unique to him, but he also has communicable attributes. Those are attributes of God that humans can exhibit at least to some degree. These are, God is so great, he not only has character attributes, attributes about his nature that are unique to him, but he has attributes that he's empowered us to reflect to a lesser degree. Here's some examples of those. How about love? The Bible says God is love. The term love, agape, it's a term that defines the committed communal Love of God. Look at how it's described in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Look what the Apostle John says about it. We love then because he first loved us. 
Same term, kape. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love, a communicable attribute, something that, that defines who God is, but ought to define more and more who we are. Here's another one, another communicable attribute, truth. God is a source of all truth, and what he says is totally reliable. Look at the direction the Apostle Paul gave one of the churches. He says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Keeps going, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free men, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Paul is telling the people, listen, if you're going to grow in the image of Christ, there's an attribute that ought to be present in your life. That's truth. That what you say is what you mean. Later, the Bible will say, let your yeses be yes. And your no's be no. God is the source of all truth and what he says is totally reliable. And as we grow in the image of Christ, may our words and our characterization of others be completely reliable as well. Here's another one, holiness. Not only is God of pure and incorruptible nature, but we're called to grow in this area as well. Look at what Peter says, 1 Peter 1. He says, be like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. There's other communicable attributes. God is merciful. We are called to be merciful. God is good. We are called to be good. And look, and again, these are just a quick and incomplete look at some of the attributes of God to maybe help you understand and remind us of the greatness of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But David's not done in his psalm because he believes once you understand that truth, that should be evident, that should develop, that should grow, that should produce certain characteristics in your life. Look at, continue, go back to that psalm. Look at the end of verse 4. Well, let's start in verse 4 again. It says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And then look what it says next. He is to be feared above all gods. Man, if you understand the greatness of God, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but, big biblical but right there, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary First thing, that the greatness of God, if we understand that truth, it's more than just a Sunday school song. It's a powerful truth that should be evident in our lives. First thing it produces is it leads us to reverence. When you understand the greatness of God, it leads us to reverence. David says he is to be feared. That term fear, that term means that when we truly recognize who God is, and then compare it to an honest reflection of who we are. It should drop us to our knees and fill us with awe of the greatness of God. You know, there's so many aspects of warning 
in Scripture warning us about God. You know that. We're told, we're warned God is not mocked. We're told God is patient, but that we're warned that he's also jealous. We're warned that God is going to return and judge the world for their sins. I wonder in our culture of our focus on the love of God, which is true, is it possible that we've lost some reverence for God? In the theological truth and our ability to have a relationship with God, have we lost some of the fear, some of the reverence? See, King David says, if you understand the greatness of God, if you see him for more and more of who he is day by day, it should lead you to reverence. He continues... Verse 7, not only does it lead us to, worship, to reverence, but it leads us to worship. Look at verse 7. King David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. That term ascribe, if your Bible has that word, that term ascribe means to come with the intention to give. When you come, bring something with you to offer. Then David tells us what to bring. It says, worship the Lord. That term means to bow down in humility and declare the greatness of God to all who will listen. I ask you something. When you come on Sundays, do you understand the greatness of God and come prepared with something to give? Or you, do you come prepared to receive? So King David says, man, when you understand who God is, the greatness of God, and greatly to be praised, when you come before the Lord, you come ready to give him what he's due. You come ready to offer something to the Lord. Your gifts, your talents, your worship. And I want to remind you, by the way, God, when he talks about worship, is not talking about just Sunday mornings. Every day. Every day we should ready ourselves because of the greatness of who God is to live our lives in worship, to bow down and declare God for who he is and come ready to give of ourselves for his kingdom and his glory. King David's like, man, if you're missing this, you're going to miss something in your Christian life. King David says, you need to understand the greatness of God and greatly he is to be praised. The magnitude that he deserves. And when you, the more and more you understand the greatness of God, more and more that will lead you to reverence before God. It will lead you to the worship of God. Thirdly, it leads us to trust in God. Man, if you understand the greatness of God, look at what he says. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. King David says, not just your nation. Say to all the nations, the Lord reigns. That term reigns, that term means that God rules with the ultimate authority and that nothing happens without God's allowing it. 
Man, if you understand the greatness of God, we're impacted less and less by the claimed greatness of others because we compare everyone and everything to the greatness of God. Man, all of a sudden, world powers, political leaders, sports stars, pastors, Christian authors, movie stars, one of the hosts on The View, man, all of them suddenly descend in importance in our life because we understand the Lord reigns. Our God reigns. He has ultimate authority. Nothing happens without his allowance. And I love, look how it describes, it says he will judge the people's with equity, that term equity, complete fairness, total integrity, perfect truth. Anyone notice that's like a buzzword in culture nowadays? Want equity in pay? Want equity in, in the campus that all of our schools go to? If one kid has this at their school, all kids need to have that at their school. We need equity in sports, regardless of how you define yourself. Like culture is clamoring for fairness and equity. And here's the only place we're going to get it. Do you understand? Do you see the irony of all this? Culture is saying we want fairness. And the Bible is saying that's what God offers you. Complete equity. Fairness. Justice. Man, when you understand the greatness of God, it leads you to reverence. And you're going to disrespect the power of God less and less in your life. It leads you to worship. Man, it changes how we approach church and how we approach life. It leads us to trust. Man, all of a sudden, people boasting about their power and their riches and their greatness and their fame matters to me less and less as I come to understand the greatness of God. One more thing, though. If you understand the greatness of God, it leads us to hope. Look how he finishes. King David, again, this is early in his reign. He says, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that's in it lend all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. Why? He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. David looks around. He goes, I know we can all find something to grump about. We can all find something to complain about. We can all find something that we don't appreciate in our lives. But King David says, if you understand the greatness of God, it leads you to hope. It leads you to celebrate even today. Why? Because of what you know God will accomplish in the future. No matter how kooky culture gets, how difficult life has become, how hopeless the future looks, when you recognize the greatness of God, it leads you to hope today. My hope in this message is that maybe you'd understand that 
childhood song, the Sunday school song, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. It's not a truth just for kids. It's a truth for us that the more we understand it and the more we allow it to take root in our souls, the more it will transform our lives. It will change our view. It will lead us to reverence more and more. It will lead us to worship differently as a church and as a Christian. It will lead us to trust God even in the midst of election years. And it will lead us to hope regardless of where your life is today. You know not only that God is at work, but Jesus will return. And he will make everything that's wrong He will make it right. And he will fully restore you to the image of God. So my question for you, do you understand the greatness of God? Do you understand the greatness of God and he is greatly to be praised? Perhaps you're here, you've never responded to the greatness of God saying, Brian, you know what? I've just seen God as an option. Now, as the ultimate authority, I'm ready to commit my life to him. And I want to tell you, in just a few moments at the end of service, there's going to be friends of mine under the crosses. They'd love to pray with you, talk with you, allow you to have a clearer understanding of who God is so that you can finally allow him to be the God of your life. But my suspicion is many of you are saved. Many of you would say, Brian, I I know God's great. But maybe I haven't focused on his greatness. Maybe I need to allow that truth to impact one part of my life. I guess my question is, how can the greatness of God continue to shape you, mold you, and propel you forward in your Christian life? You know, this truth that David held to the greatness of God, it was definitely present early in his reign. But it's something that we can see present throughout his reign. And we also see it present at the end of his reign. King Solomon, his son, was already anointed as the next king of Israel. He was still young, and so there's this moment of David decreasing and Solomon increasing. But as David was beginning to prepare all of the provisions for Solomon to build the temple of the Lord. David called all the people together as they brought things before the Lord. And this was his prayer that he prayed over them. And I want to share it with you. Because my hope and, my hope and desire is that this is the prayer of our heart as well. Will you pray it with me? He says this, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over everything. And in all your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Amen.